Hello and welcome to another episode of the Raphaelite Society podcast hosted by Hannah Squire. Today's episode focuses on the figure of the muse. How have artists and muses alike, along with historians and critics and many other voices throughout history, sought to define this seemingly elusive figure? I am joined by two wonderful women today who have done a lot of work to unpack this term and show that the figure of the muse exists across the divides of race, sex, gender, sexuality, religion, mental and physical health issues and disabilities. Ruth Millington is an art historian, critic and author of book Muse, which uncovers the real life individuals who inspired and co-created masterpieces. It was while studying art history during an MA at the University of Oxford that Ruth first began researching women artists and muses within surrealism, modern and contemporary art. When she's not in a gallery or writing, she enjoys wine tasting and running, ideally in the direction of a cafe or a wine bar. So she's my type of woman. Um, we also have Dina Razin, who's an artist based in Portugal. Dina collaborated with Ruth and created the illustrations, these portraits of the muses for the book. Dina focuses her work on the female figure and is often inspired by the strong women she encounters in her life, while at times also shedding light on their vulnerabilities. Dina is inspired by her rich Middle Eastern culture, travelling and reading. She has a degree in film and media studies from Arizona State University in the United States, and she works with pastel and acrylic colours in addition to digital art and collage. Dina loves reading, travelling, listening to jazz music and enjoys a good coffee. So, Muse is a fantastic book. I've read it a couple of times now, and I'd recommend you read it directly after this podcast. That's everyone's homework for this episode. Um, the combination of the fascinating text and the really brilliant portraits make it a total work of art. And I recently visited the wonderful exhibition of these artworks at Winterbourne Museum in Birmingham, which unfortunately is now closed, but I hope a lot of you got, were able to see it. Um, and it was great to see these portraits actually full size and together and the way they kind of interacted with each other in the space was really fascinating. So hello both. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Oh no, thank you both for being here. So I want to begin with the first question is, so in the book, Ruth, your muses are derived from 17th century Italy, the 21st century Australia, from Frida Kahlo to Grace Jones and of course Beyonce. So Ruth, what was the initial, could you talk about the initial meaning of the word muse and how the idea of the muse sort of evolved in society and art history and why was the theme that you wanted to explore for your book? Um, so great starting point for our chat today and I guess it was this term muse really which was the starting point for all of my thinking that went into the book and what had happened is I'd been writing a couple of articles for various magazines about the true life people behind famous portraits and one editor asked me not to use the word muse so of course this naturally got me thinking about okay what connotations does this term carry today and is this fair is there another way that we could think about the muse so I started digging around here and as well as studying art history at university I did study classics as well my undergrad at Durham so the muses at their very origin actually come from ancient Greece and there were nine divine goddesses, these sisters of the arts. And at this point, poets and writers and artists, they had to pray to these muses for divine inspiration. So at their origin, the muses were really kind of 
powerful. And since then, the image of the muse has shifted so much. And this is how I kind of start the book asking, you know, how has our how has the concept of the muse changed so dramatically from them being these kind of all powerful goddesses who hold the power um, to then this image now of the submissive younger female model at the mercy of a male artist, which for me that's very problematic. So mm. that's where the discussion starts for me. And you can see these shifts over time really clearly. So kind of from ancient Greece, then if we travel to the Renaissance. This is when you'll find lots more paintings of the muses as these kind of allegorical young women and their dresses are kind of falling off them as they run through the forest. Uh, and then <laughs> from there, then I'd say there's another major shift with the pre-Raphaelites who start to take mm. real, real life women and men as their muses. So that becomes a much more personal relationship. And then that's picked up by modern artists and have to talk about Picasso and I'm sure he'll pop up again in the course of this episode because he very much played with the idea of the muse and used it in titles of his works and he was kind of presenting himself as kind of his own inspiration who chose to have a muse and so he was the one holding the power so there was definitely this kind of shift in power but that was dictated um, by these male artists and then the narrative surrounding it mm. but in my research I was really finding that actually a lot of these real life muses were very involved in the making of their portraits or other works as well so I thought mm, it's about time that we challenge this image of the muse as always this submissive um, model sitting for an artist because that's really not the case at all brilliant and it's interesting I can't believe well I can believe it that some that um, you were asked not to use the term muse in an article that's really interesting and that leads me on to our next question which is for both of you so what would you argue you've, you've alluded to this Ruth but what is the difference between using the word muse or using the word model and do you think there's a distinct different definition of these words is that important yeah, I think it is really important. And actually, it was a conversation I had with a lot of the artists and muses who I interviewed for the book. Mm. So wherever possible, I did go and meet or, you know, have calls with the people I was discussing their work or their contributions to works. And I interviewed one fashion photographer, Tim Walker, um, who... Yeah he spoke really eloquently about for him the difference between a model and a muse. He said anybody can be a model in a way and he can tell them how to pose and what to do. But mm. for him, a muse brings something to the photo shoot, some sort of creative direction or inspiration. Or in his case, he worked with Tilda Swinton on an amazing photo shoot called Stranger Than Paradise set in Mexico and Tilda Swinton she has a great interest in art history she'd asked to kind of perform all these surrealist characters from Leonora Carrington's paintings so actually in that case he was saying the whole concept for the photo shoot came from her and mm. also he mentioned that because she is an actress she's really good at timing so she knew how to kind of step into the frame and he talked about how in his portraits with muses, he sees them as a handshake between mm. photographer and muse and you meet in the middle somewhere. And I love that definition. So yes, for me, there is a difference between someone who is perhaps a life model. Um, there's no yeah. connection or relationship there with the artist and the muse. And also I think it's important to note that 
not all muses have been models. So you mm. can inspire an artist in other ways, perhaps by your own creative work. So, you know, I write about the fashion designer, Emily Flerger, and her relationship mm. with Klimt, and she yes. dressed a lot of his models, but she really was his creative muse because it was her designs which you find in all his most famous paintings. Brilliant. And Dina, as an artist, would you agree? Yeah. Um, what kind yeah. of relationship have you found with between a model and a muse and, and you as an artist? Yeah, I definitely agree with Ruth uh, about the points she uh, has mentioned. Um, definitely as a muse for me, uh, the muse is the essence of the work, you know. Um, mm -hmm. It's a collaboration with the artist. Um, you influence the work as a muse. Uh, you are embedded in the artwork, um, and like the model, like Ruth mentioned, uh, you are not necessarily, not every muse is a model, and um, a model, especially in our modern world right now, not just in the art um, world, but also if you think about modeling industry, models are usually, most of the time, brand ambassadors, they have more of a silenced role and not an active role in what they're representing, however, a model, uh, sorry, a muse usually has a very active role in the artwork and the process of um, making the artwork and um, bringing it to life. Mm. And um, Dina, as a Syrian Iraqi artist, um, I, I was wondering how your Middle Eastern heritage maybe kind of inspired um, how you approached um, that the muse and your background. Um, when, when I worked on Muse, the book, um, the, the influence, if I had any influence from my uh, Middle Eastern background, I, I would say it comes in the style. Um, for example, you can see it in a lot of the uh, botanical elements that you see um, in some of the illustrations, in addition to the textures that are added, for example, to dresses and clothing, like in Frida Kahlo's uh, illustration, uh, in um, uh, Emily Floga. Uh, so um, I would say that it's mostly the botanical art, uh, which ties a little bit, uh, you know, uh, in, like into uh, my personal story about how I approach in general a lot of my artworks. Um, I incorporate a lot of Middle Eastern uh, flavors when it comes to flowers and use of a lot of leaves and uh, textures. And um, I would say it, that's how it influenced my work on news. Mm. And are there any particular, um, Dina, any particular flowers, any particular plants um, uh, from Syria or from the Middle East that particularly um, uh, frequently appear in your work? Mostly I, well, the flower that has a very like <laughs> special uh, place for me in my heart that comes from my home country is uh, the jasmine flower. It's the uh, national flower of uh, Syria. And I um, grew up uh, walking in neighborhoods where uh, we were surrounded by jasmine uh, flowers and the smell in the spring, like it, it, it's just everywhere. Uh, um, in Damascus and uh, I think that is a flower that I usually like to incorporate in my work or I would be thinking about it when I'm <laughs> drawing uh, flowers. It's wonderful to hear the enthusiasm in your voice um, when you <laughs> talk about nature and inspiration it really just reminds me of um, the Pyrophilites and their kind of real focus mm -hmm. on attention to detail and studying the nature that surrounded them and it really inspiring their work and I love how amused that yeah the nature kind of intertwines with the figures and it's all 
kind of um beautiful so yeah thank you oh yeah yeah absolutely um so next question Ruth uh, you chose an incredible collection of muses that tell individual aspects of the muse figure really well but which muses weren't able to make it into the book that you'd love to include but obviously for space and time you weren't able to so to start with there were uh, there was actually a long list of 60 potential chapters and oh, wow. to go into the book <laughs> so it was hard whistling them down to 30 um and in a way I worked with the editor of the book on this to divide them into categories so to kind of group them together so artist as muse self as muse mother as muse um, and that helped then kind of see where some of the stories perhaps were too similar to make another point because I've written them all as kind of individual biographies but also thought pieces kind of raising another mm -hmm. issue around the muse so in a way that happened quite structurally um and a few got lost along the way that I'm sad about uh one that I would have loved to include in the book but the estate um weren't uh, they weren't that I don't know they they didn't seem that comfortable with um supporting the book I don't know why but Louise Bourgeois and her mm. mother that's a really interesting relationship and Louise Bourgeois spiders which we all know they're all about her mum who was a weaver and mm. we always see these you know huge spiders something quite scary but actually there's a, another element to them where she's talking about actually her mum was really creative and the spider is being protective um, of her offspring and so I thought oh that would be a really interesting chapter to write and also uh, Louise Bourgeois interest in this use of artist therapy which is a theme that comes up again and again in the book so I was sad it didn't make it in um, but half the chapter's written and it may go into something else you never know. Brilliant and Dina were there any muses that you would have kind of loved to draw that you weren't um, didn't get a chance to? Um, honestly uh, when I was asked I was commissioned to do Muse I was uh, before I looked at the notes and they sent me the list of Muses I was just praying that I would draw Frida Kahlo mm -hmm. <laughs> and I did <laughs> honestly that was <laughs> that would have been my dream so um, having that in the list I it just <laughs> it, it made me very very happy and um, I, I just from childhood I've loved Frida Kahlo she was always an inspiration as she is you know for a lot of artists mm. uh, but uh, for me definitely um, growing up and uh, learning about her art and uh, being in love with her style not just her art but also her personal style and the way she represented herself through fashion and flowers going back to flowers and uh, mm. uh, leaves and the way she made up her hair and uh, the dresses she wore they, they, she's always been an inspiration so uh, so definitely Frida was the one I was hoping for and she was in the list Good thing she made it then. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Both incredible artists. Um, and Dean, I also wanted to ask you about um, if you could talk a bit more to our uh, listeners who maybe haven't read the book yet and seen the illustrations, mm -hmm. talk a bit about um, the medium you used, your style, and um, how long did the portraits take to create and your process, if that's okay? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, for Muse, basically, um, I was commissioned to do the illustrations and um, there was a timeline that I had to agree to, uh, which has been, <laughs> which has changed many times. Obviously, Ruth knows we went through a very uh, long process of waiting for approvals from different places for copyrights. So uh, we started with one, with one timeline and then ended up with another. Uh, so it was a very um, long, but honestly, it was a very enjoyable uh, process. Uh, when it comes to the uh, medium, I uh, started my drafts, uh, usually uh, my sketches with um, ink and uh, on paper and uh, after I transformed them into digital copies and elaborated on the work more uh, digitally. Uh, this honestly made the work a lot go a lot faster for me as an illustrator. It's a different uh, process when you are uh, commissioned to work on a um, artwork that has a deadline. Um, digital art has helped a lot uh, in the process uh, for mm. any last minute changes. Um, even for me, uh, whenever I felt like you know I was under time pressure, this helped a lot with the. Uh, it changes, uh, but um, really the, the, the process was, um, and the most interesting uh, part of the process was actually studying uh, the notes that came to me from Ruth on each of the muses. That's where I usually started. I started by uh, studying the stories of the muses of each of them, uh, layering references, uh, gathering information about their life, about their style, about a lot of, you know, looking about but uh, like throughout a lot of photographs and um, if available uh, to kind of capture the essence of each of the muses uh, in the work. And um, after the preparation process, then I would start my sketches. I would share with the team, including the um, editor and Ruth. Uh, and uh, after that, after everyone agrees on the sketches, I move to the uh, next uh, part, which is finalizing the artwork. Uh, and um, that went on for many months. I think we started, I believe it was, um, I don't remember. Do you remember, Ruth? I think it was February, was it? I can't remember. Me, yeah, anyway. A year, a year from even pitching the book to exactly so for me it's just been like I don't know five years of my three life. years <laughs> three or five years yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So it took a while I think it was more than a year working on the illustrations yeah uh mm-hmm. it was 30 of them and the book cover and uh, that also uh was a different process for the book cover so um yeah it was it was around a year I would say and I have to say here as well, uh, this was probably my favorite bit of working on the book, discussing with Dean and the muse and really kind of sharing the story. And then and we, we kind of pulled out, you know, what are the most important aspects of their story that we would want in the illustration? Mm. Because, you know, going beyond what do they look like, Dean did such a good job of bringing out kind of what was important more intrinsically about them. And, yeah. you know, layering all these different references in the illustrations. And 
I just love seeing, you know, I would await the email the next week, <laughs> the next <laughs> week, sort of download it. And it just gave me such a boost because, you know, at this point I was still writing the book and writing can be extremely lonely. Um, we have this myth mm-hmm. of, you know, the artist loving writing in their room. But actually for me towards the end in particular, it, it became quite a lonely um, task. So to bring Dina in, it felt like a real collaboration. And yeah. Yeah, I just love seeing the muses come to life one by one. Mm. I honestly, it's a mutual feeling, really. It really helped having Ruth um, <laughs> included in the process. I, uh, like, like she said, I also was looking forward usually to the feedback from her and uh, what she thought. Because again, like, you know, when you are commissioned to do a work as an illustrator, you are not working on something that you necessarily came up with and you were inspired on a personal level to work on it. It's something that you get commissioned, you have to read about it, and then you get inspired by it. You know what I mean? So Ruth yeah. and, and, and the discussions with Ruth have always been like the source of a lot of inspiration for me because, I mean, she is the author and I felt a high sense of responsibility to make sure that her words come to light in my illustrations and um, to make sure that I am loyal to her vision as well. So Mm. our discussions were always um, pretty important to me and they helped on a professional level, but also, like she said, like the loneliness of the process, same thing for an artist, you know, when I'm working on my illustrations by myself, um, it's a different thing when you have another voice that is helping you there, guiding you through the process. Uh, especially when the image that you are looking to represent is a mutual image, even though she's worked on the writing and I worked on the illustration, but really um, you can see her words in the illustrations, I would say. I think our relationship's like an artist-muse relationship, collaborative. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes, yes, exactly. That's brilliant. And you both talked then about kind of the layers of creating these artworks, so as well as kind of visually um, that resemblance between the original artwork and then your interpretation, but also then including the layers of um, the relationship and looking at those uh, figures as well, what's important to them. Could you could you give us an example of one of the artworks and how you kind of built up those layers, Dina, or Ruth, both of you? Well, for me, I would bring probably uh, Dora Mar illustration mm-hmm. <laughs> to this conversation. I thought that layering um, in the Dora Mar uh, illustration was a very, very interesting and um, happy process for me um, because um, we I was supposed to make the illustration maybe um, inspired by the um, weeping woman, but uh, we, I, I remember, as I remember, Ruth, we couldn't get the approval for that. And I was really happy, actually, because I wanted to add my own touch to uh, Dora Mar in a very different way. And um, the way I incorporated the Weeping, Weeping Woman, just to get a, like a reference to that artwork, um, is by including the tear, but in my own way on her face. Um, but everything else about the weeping woman that I recreated is different because I wanted to show Dora as a very strong, um, elegant um, woman who was very powerful. And she was an artist, which I 
um, incorporated also like the shell in the artwork and um, that uh, shadow that uh, or the light that is kind of casted on her face because I wanted to uh, reference um, her art and her photography and the fact that she was actually a very successful artist herself uh, and not overshadowed by Picasso's um, uh, role in her life. And um, I think that uh, process, speaking to Ruth about her and leading Ruth towards on um, Dora, really opened my eyes uh, about her life. Because before that, honestly, I mean, it is a shame. I actually didn't know all the details about her life. And I looked at Weeping Women through uh, Picasso's eyes. But now um, I definitely have a very different image of Dora. And um, I feel so close to her that I actually keep using a lot of her images in my collages right now. Like she's becoming amused to me <laughs> because <laughs> I just love her so much. And I love her character and the way she actually, um, a lot of people don't know that she actually guided uh, Picasso um, in a lot of his um, artworks and changed his direction. Uh, uh, in his art so um I, I don't know do you agree Ruth I'm not sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think that's, that's, a, that's a good <laughs> that's exactly it for me I love this illustration which is award-winning by the way <laughs> um <laughs> oh, thank because, I forgot that. <laughs> as Dina says she is not showing these muses through the artist's eyes but kind of you know bringing their own stories and their own sense of self to the page mm. And I thought that was really important because we all know, you know, a lot of these portraits of Dora Maher as the weeping woman, but there's a very different side to her story, which isn't told. And that's exactly what these illustrations did for me. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah they really do. And um, I was really interested as well. I did, wrote a, um, a like, like a social media post recently, and it was a painting by Rossetti um, with Fanny Cornforth as the muse. And I, in the wording, I was quite... I think after reading your book, I was really inspired by just thinking about the actual wording that we use to describe that. And I put about a collaboration between the two of them. But I had a few people um, in the comments below and DM me just saying, oh, I didn't realise was Fanny Cornforth also an artist? Did she actually work on the artwork? And I was, and my response was, well, no, but that doesn't mean that the word collaboration therefore is not... Um, is not worth using it's I think it's a really important point to include that word and to show that collaboration I just wanted to do if you could both kind of uh, talk a bit more about that muse artist relationship um and how it's kind of not one-sided maybe as some people have thought it is yeah so I always use these terms partnership or mm. collaboration and I definitely see it as a myth that great artworks are made in isolation it's you know the genius of one great artist if we mm. think about literature, the same thing There's a book called This Thanks for Typing, all about women who were editing. <laughs> well, they were supposed to be just typing up manuscripts, but in fact, they were doing a lot of the editing of their husband's works at the same mm. time. Uh, and they're not credited. And the same with great artworks. And for me, a collaboration, well, often it is that a woman has helped paint sections of um, a work. Mm. Omar helped paint some bits of Guernica. But it's beyond that as well. And there's so many examples in the book of this. One is Sunday mm. Reads, um, an Australian. Well, she was an artist, but more than that, she she dedicated her life really to kind of becoming a patron of the arts and supporting young 
avant-garde artists in Australia in kind of the 1940s. And she developed this collaboration with Sidney Nolan, who then was a young man wanting to be a poet. And she steered him away from poetry and towards painting. And he ended up living with her and her husband in their house and kind of painting the landscape around this farmhouse. You see the house itself in a lot of the paintings. Sunday Reed appears too. So, and, and she did paint some uh, sections of some of his most famous works as well. But for me, the collaboration, it's more than, you know, she painted a couple of squares on the canvas. It's she provided him with the subject matter um, kind of supported him in developing his style and even the medium in which he was working. Um, and then, of course, you have the more kind of emotional labour and support or financial support that a lot of women have given male artists, which we don't talk about. So uh, this partnership or collaboration for me doesn't necessarily have to mean that they both painted the work. It goes beyond that. And um, would you argue the relationship is different today, um, the artist-community relationship, or is it just that the language that we use has changed and um, the thoughts behind how we define that has changed? I think it's important to look at each artist-muse relationship as something quite distinct. Mm. So there are common threads that we throughout the book and, and throughout these relationships, but each one is distinctly different. And... Also, we definitely need to consider these relationships within the context in which they've developed, um, mm. you know, in terms of the social, cultural, geographical, political context. Um, women, of course, now in most countries, not all, thinking about Afghanistan, they have full access to education, at least you know, here in the UK, including arts education, which they didn't always have. Huge change, you know, there's equality there for women becoming artists, um, which wasn't always the case. So you can see there, there's more of an equality between perhaps, you know, a male and a female artist. Um, although we should also, you know, think about male artists and male muses, uh, female artists mm. and female or male muses. Um, and so I think, yeah, there are contextual changes which have altered that kind of the power dynamic. Um, but then not, that's not always the case and yeah, a lot of artists, I think, are also reflecting on this in their work now because a lot of postmodern artworks are becoming more kind of self-referential and self-conscious about these themes. So I found a lot more contemporary artists, they're actually reflecting on, oh, what does the word muse mean? And there's a whole history of this term behind what I'm creating. So a, a, a nice example, Pixie Lau, she's a Chinese photographer and she takes as her muse her Japanese boyfriend Moro who mm. is younger and he you know deliberately poses in these kind of submissive um, positions so there's a great photograph of him rolled up as a piece of sushi on the bed in their apartment um, and <laughs> <laughs> they're very playful photographs and Dina did a great illustration of that one and they are they're both kind of exploring mm, what is the dynamic between an artist and a muse you know in these cultures and for Pixie she was talking about you know very traditional culture where actually it's unusual for her and frowned upon for her to have a younger boyfriend mm -hmm. uh, from Japan. So yeah, they're definitely thinking about all of these and it comes out in the work. Yeah, so Ruth, you mentioned there about male muses um, in your book. Um, would you say um, the term muse kind of has evoked or does evoke a gendered stereotype and have, 
I mean, of sort of individual basis, but have male, male muses generally been treated differently? Um, do we often define the muse in terms of a very heterosexual white kind of male artist gaze? Um, and how is this really limiting? Yeah, so I see this as one of the myths around the muse, that the muse must be a female. And as mm. well, we always have this image of her as young and white and she's got long hair it's a very <laughs> traditional image of the muse um and last year just before my book came out the royal academy they had two shows on overlapping so they had a francis bacon exhibition um all about his male figures and then they had a, a whistler woman in white show at the same time mm-hmm. and with the Whistler show, they were using the term muse, but they then didn't use that for Bacon's subjects. Um, and oh, wow. I thought, yeah, that's exactly that kind of sums up the, the kind of position that I'm rallying against in the book. That why don't we use this term when it's been a male figure inspiring the artist? And mm-hmm. yeah, I worked closely with the Francis Bacon estate, who supported the use of the term muse for people like George Dyer. Bacon's muse for many years um, and then in the book I write about Lawrence Alloway who posed for his wife Sylvia Slay um, then Peter Schlesinger who was romantically involved with and posed for David Hockney for mm. a good five years uh, Paul Rosano another male model so a third of the book is male muses because I think to have equality here we need to see both men and women as muses definitely and it, yeah that's quite shocking about the Royal Academy you know so much work still left to do and it really shows how kind of vital um this conversation in this book is so Ruth was it um, important for you to work with a female artist to create these um interpretations of portraits for your book to define the muse and if if it was important why yeah I find this a really interesting topic um I think there's a lot of conversations at the moment about you know, even in acting, who can represent who, you know, do you have to mm. be of that same gender, that same sex, that same class even? Um, for me, I think at the heart of the book really is, as women, we're often still valued for the way that we look beyond any other qualities. And I think this discussion often comes into that of the muse. Um, and we tie this idea of the muse to her being a beautiful woman. And the book really aims to show that's not true. That's not the value of the muse. So for me, I guess working with a, another woman artist is kind of important because they would share an understanding of this from a kind of personal point of view. Um, mm. And that commitment to emphasising actually these other qualities of the muses, which we talked about before in regards to Dina's illustrations of Dora Maar, for instance. Mm-hmm. But for me... Um, more important was finding someone you know with a superb style uh, perhaps someone already interested in this subject matter and you know when I was showing Dina's work I just thought perfect because she's already done a whole series of you know women who perhaps haven't been written into history as they should have been I absolutely loved her style Um, I could see that there were kind of um, layers to the stories there's kind of a narrative element to her work as well so for mm. me that you know that's what really made me think my god we need Dina to illustrate this book <laughs> luckily she said mm. yes <laughs> you always compliment me but I never get tired of it <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> 
Oh, it's yeah, it's a, it's a perfect collaboration. Um, and I just want to say as well, so Dina's incredible artworks and seeing him in the flesh is just magical. Um, they're available for you to buy as prints via Dina's website. So it's dinarazin.com. And Dina, you mentioned Dora Maar before, but I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you, um, what, so what did you discover about the representations of the muses? Uh, do you, you've mentioned Dora Maar, but do you have any other favourites? And what, yeah, what were the discoveries that you made about these muses from, um, from the work? Honestly, I would say after working on all the 30 illustrations, um, I think all the muses became my favorite. I really had, uh, <laughs> uh, I started developing this emotional connection, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in, with them because, um, again, it was eye-opening, you know, uh, the words that uh, Ruth wrote and the way she uncovered the hidden stories behind each of the muses was eye-opening for me um, as an artist. A lot of uh, them surprised me with um, so many details about their professional life, about their personal stories that um, makes you uh, look at each of them um, really apart from any role that they played in um, the artworks which they were represented in or, were part of. So for me, for example, stories like Gala Valleys and Louisa Cassidy uh, really captured uh, my attention because um, of their um, dedication to their passion. For example, Louisa Cassidy, really her dedication to um, not just uh, her dedication to art, uh, and fashion itself. She really, uh, I think Ruth said that, like she, she, she wanted to become the artwork, you know? And to me, that is very fascinating. And um, the way actually I uh, felt toward her, her, her persona is that in the beginning, I was so excited to read about her um, dedication to uh, fashion and the love of animals and the way she used to roam the city wearing the, these fancy, very uh, nice textured clothing. But then uh, the end of her life really made me extremely sad, the fact that she lost everything at the end of her life. And um, um, it, w- it was a very sad ending for me. And I, I don't know if you remember, Ruth, in the beginning, I did an illustration of her where she looked quite sad in the picture. And, we, and when I showed Ruth, I think like she liked it. But then she said, I think we should have put a smile on her face, you know, because, <laughs> because again, I couldn't like in the beginning, I said I had to be royal, like loyal to um, the author's, you know, uh, vision in this uh, book. But at the same time, I had emotional connection to a lot of the characters in the book while they are real life characters, obviously, but I really felt like I wanted to show that, you know, she went from the top of her like triumph to uh, at the end, like her life really ended sadly. And I, I just wanted to show that in my illustration. But then uh, again, <laughs> but again, uh, you know, speaking to Ruth, going back to the collaboration and actually how we want to represent them, which was true, you know, like she really was powerful woman, regardless of the way things ended for her. She was a powerful woman. She was dedicated to uh, her passion and love of art and passion. 
And um, I think she was one of my favorites. And also uh, Gala Dali, I think uh, she was a favorite of mine as well, uh, because um, again, her role in Dali's life uh, was important, but also she was really misrepresented um, um, being this like uh, super strong controlling woman who wanted to steal the, spot the spotlight. Uh, but really she had a lot of uh, influence in uh, Dali's life apart from even the art itself like Ruth was saying earlier, she had she supported him a lot you know uh, throughout his life. So um, I would say yeah Gala Dali and uh, Louisa Cassidy would be. Uh, two of my favorites in addition to Dora Mar. Brilliant. And Ruth, did you find any of the muses you wrote about became your favorite? It's the same story as, as with Dina, really. You, you can ask mm. me on different days, I'd have a different favorite, depending <laughs> on my mood or what's happening in my life. Um, we definitely immerse ourselves in their world. So with each kind of, yeah, I kind of fell in love with their story. Um, and I'd say with perhaps some of my favorites were the hardest to write as well so Frida Kahlo for instance I think there's so much mythology around her and we're told this overly romantic story about her life and there's also a lot of focus on her you know fashion and how she was representing herself but I was trying to kind of dig deeper than that so this chapter was the one that took me the longest right it was the last one that I finished and I was really mm -hmm. determined to kind of um get beneath the surface of exactly what was going on and if you look at a lot of her paintings she's often piercing her skin so there's kind of nails going into her or there's roots growing out of her and I bought a copy of her diaries where you can see she's really using art as a form of therapy so I absolutely loved working on this chapter although it was a struggle to kind of you know kind of reach some sort of truth there in terms of what was she actually trying to get at um that was really satisfying to work on and Dina's illustration does a great job of kind of showing this she's holding a pair of scissors in her hands um which I think really symbolizes exactly what she was trying to get at kind of trying to heal herself by piercing her skin to let out this physical and emotional pain so mm. I love that one. Um, Artemisia Gentileschi, that I also, mm. that was such a powerful story to write about. She overcame so much as a female artist, as a woman who was raped, and then kind of channeled all of that into her paintings and presented herself as Cleo, the muse of history. And that portrait is fantastic because she's holding this scroll to clear this muse she's holding this scroll and on it she's written Artemisia's name so I could see she, oh yeah she's really writing herself into art history here so I mean the list could go on I also loved more contemporary ones uh, Marina Abramovich and her male muse Ule their mm -hmm. performances together on stage um, that was that was quite a fun one to write actually um they really broke boundaries together in terms of what they were doing and merging kind of professional and personal life in their performances which I feel like really is relevant in today's world when we're all putting content on social media I could go on but I'll stop there and <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it must have been really difficult, but how did you both come up with using the Mayor's Girl with the Pearl Earring as the um, the cover image? Uh, so that's where the book starts in terms of the introduction. I opened mm -hmm. with the Girl with the Pearl Earring mm -hmm. and 
kind of unpicking the mythology around her and Tracy Chevalier's, you know, she wrote that great book about her um, and then there was a film made, made about her, but it, it presents her as this kind of sexy maid. Um, and I'm, I'm saying, right, hang on a minute, that's absolutely not the case. She was most likely for me as young daughter. And if you look at the portrait, she's really young. But also it's a portrait that everybody knows and there's a kind of mystery around it. Um, we don't know that much about her uh, in real life. So that was, a, I thought, you know, the ideal kind of muse to be on the cover. However, we were given a few options. Uh, so there was another option for Elizabeth Siddle as Ophelia to be on the cover. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just felt like it was quite a tragic image. And the book is a celebration of the muse. So, yeah, I thought Girl with the Pearl Earring was a stronger choice. Yeah, yeah, I can completely understand that. So talking um, about Siddle and Rossetti, um, Ruth, you talk about how Siddle's own artworks have been overshadowed by her artist's husband and these kind of iconic representations of Siddle by male artists. Um, and as you said, um, Dean has done this incredible um, illustration inspired by um, Siddle and uh, Millet's Ophelia painting. Um, so how would you define the muses of the Pluraphalites and their relationships specifically? So what did these convey? What did they convey as a group? Mm. So as I said earlier, I think this is a really significant period in art history where mm. we find real life individuals, they're becoming more and more important for artists who are working with them. Um, I also think, of course, in terms of uh, culturally here at this point, women aren't able to access art school in the way that men can. So I think this is where a lot of the mythology around the muse com comes up, really. There's all these stories about, you know, Elizabeth Siddle was working in a hat shop and she was fucked mm. out of obscurity um, by the male pre-Raphaelites. Uh, how lucky for her because of her beauty. When, in fact, actually she approached them wanting to model for them and you can see and this is what I argue in fact for her becoming a muse was a way into the brotherhood an opportunity for her to you know work alongside these artists and she went on to exhibit with them both in Britain and the US I think the problem really was she went from modeling for many artists in the pre-Raphaelite brotherhood mm -hmm. to just Rossetti who demanded this right to her once they'd entered into a romantic relationship and again this kind of as soon as there is a romantic element to the relationship, that's where often these tensions and problems arise. And actually, Sue Tilly, who modelled for Lucian Freud, so she is the woman who is supervisor sleeping, the famous naked lady on the couch. She mm. always said, there was never any problems between me and Freud, and that's because it, it was never a romantic relationship. It was a professional mm -hmm. one and I was paid and we became really good friends throughout the process. There was, you know, respect on both sides and it felt um, equal. And he bought her that sofa because she was going <laughs> to his studio at the end of each day after a long day of work, really tired. So he went out and bought her this secondhand <laughs> sofa, which then has become so famous. And yeah, she says she's been to see these portraits hanging in rich people's houses <laughs> of her <laughs> lying on this sofa naked. Um, but to go back, yeah, to the pre-Raphaelites, I think, um, obviously, in terms of subject matter, as a group, these artists were interested in telling stories from myths and legends. Mm. And a real, 
problem I think for people like Elizabeth Siddle is that we fix them in the image of the characters they've played. So we don't see past Elizabeth Siddle as Ophelia or kind of, you know, the, the tragic muse was Effie portrayed her, particularly in this image. We need to look beyond that. So yes, she was playing this character, but there's a separation between, you know, the, the figure in the frame and then the real life person behind it. You can mm -hmm. see her actions more as a kind of performance art and she brought creativity to the role. So a lot of great women artists have been muses and I think that's because there is a creative element to the position. So I think it's really important that we separate out, yes, the real life people from those pictured in the paintings. Mm. And did you choose um, uh, Millet's Ophelia because I suppose it is the most iconic representation of a Siddle that uh, the general public will kind of know and to distance it maybe from a, a representation by Rossetti? Was that a, was there a choice choosing the Millet over a, a Rossetti depiction of Siddle? Do you mean for the illustration? Yes, yeah, sorry, I meant for oh, the, yeah, to kind of accompany the written text. I think it's the, it's the most iconic painting mm -hmm. of her that everybody knows, everybody mm -hmm. talks about. And for me, it's the one where we know her story actually behind it. She posed in this bathtub of cold water um, for kind of six hours. And yeah, so the the lamps heating this water went out and she was the one who said, you know, it's fine, I'll, I'll stay in this water, that's okay. She wanted to um, see it through to the end and became quite ill afterwards. Mm. And for me, that was an important element of the story. There is agency there and she was yes. active in the painting. And I really don't like the word sitter when it comes no. to talking about <laughs> who we see in pictures because quite frankly, it's very rarely just sitting. Um, and even sitting itself, I've been a life model before and let me tell you, it takes endurance to sit still for a long time. <laughs> so mm. I think for me, that was a really good way into her story yeah I agree I hate the word sitter it sounds like you're a chair or a piece of furniture or something yeah oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Dina so I love your reimagining of Millet's Ophelia and what I found really particularly striking is that focus well for me of my gaze on Siddle's hands and face so that kind of stark contrast of the whiteness of these in comparison to that inky blackness of the river, which her body mm -hmm. sort of disappears into. And it reminds me very much of Siddle's representations of female figures, where she really focuses, and unlike a lot of the pre-Raphaelite male artists, her female figures, the focus is on their hands. There's a lot of detail of them, sort of that sight of creation as an artist and their heads, so the area of thoughts and ideas. Um, mm -hmm. So have working on this book kind of, changed how you think um, about the relationship between artist and muse and how did you yeah, approach that um, depiction of Millet's Ophelia? Yeah, um, definitely, of course it changed uh, my, um, you know, the way I look at the relationship between artist and uh, the muse. Personally, in my art journey, I haven't worked closely with a muse and been inspired uh, by numerous uh, women as you mentioned earlier in my biography, uh, in my artworks and a lot of female figures. However, I didn't, uh, you know, work closely with someone. Um, but uh, definitely uh, for the future, I feel that news really has changed uh, the way 
uh, I would uh, look at my relationship uh, with the news and look at it as a collaboration, really. It's like truly a collaboration. Um, and uh, the way uh, we were speaking earlier that the power, where the power comes from, really, uh, honestly, I look at it right now as I am getting empowered by uh, the muse. Muses give me uh, the power to create uh, the source of inspiration, you know. Mm. And uh, working with the muse would be um, a, a relationship of collaboration, respect for their personal stories, uh, the role they would play in the artwork, um, and in my representation uh, for uh, Ophelia, I felt like, um, like you said, like the inky blackness of the river and her body that disappears into it. I, I did that on purpose because, um, unlike the glamorous image that we have of that uh, artwork, uh, as you know, because she's like one of the most fam famous muses in history. Um, mm. and uh, her role was represented as glamorous and she's like this beautiful girl who is glowing in the water. I wanted to show that actually the process was painful for her um, throughout the uh, artwork. And um, she wasn't, for me, you know, treating someone uh, like that on a professional level, you know, uh, having someone sit in cold water for hours to accomplish uh, the artwork that's in its, you know, it's inhumane. So you have to have respect toward the news as a person uh, and the respect for uh, their uh, role in the artwork, you know. Uh, other than uh, just having them be um, uh, a part uh, of your process, you know. For me, definitely, uh, the book has uh, influenced the way I uh, look at muses. And um, I thank Ruth, Ruth for that and her beautiful uh, words and the way she uncovered the personal stories of all the muses. Thanks, Dana. Oh, thank you both so much. This conversation sparked so many more questions I can ask, but I won't keep you much longer. I just want to ask, is there anything, any topic that we haven't covered today that you wanted to talk about? Um, well, I guess the book ends with a manifesto for the muse. Yes. Maybe good just to end on this note, because, you know, we've all read artist manifestos, but what about a manifesto for the muse? And mm -hmm. in it, I conclude and ask that they are better treated haven't talked that much about the abuse of some muses by the likes of Picasso um, or even Rossetti. So I think that, you know, they are respected and treated appropriately by artists working with them today. Uh, and then that they are acknowledged, they're credited, they're celebrated in narratives, in exhibitions, in books. And also that we see a more diverse cast of characters as muses so for example i always do find that we always think of elizabeth siddle as a pre-raphaelite muse but then she kind of overshadows other muses like fanny eaton so seeing a wider group of individuals as muses and yeah for people to go forward and ask more questions about the portraits that we see hanging in museums and you know, to go back to Girl with the Pearl Earring, often these paintings, they don't name 
the muse in its girl with the pearl earring, its girl reading, girl with the fan. But who was that girl and actually what was her role? So, and, you know, we should credit them if they did have a role in collaborating. Definitely. You make a really good point about that abusive, coercive um, power dynamic as well. Um, to discuss and yeah I love your manifesto it's brilliant and um, when we recently went to houses of parliament um, and talking to politicians to kind of have the manifesto there and yeah to really look at mm. um, going forward and almost set of ethics and guidelines and the way that we both retrospectively look back at um, muses as you say in the way that we describe the museums but looking forward as well mm. um, to future arts and the way that we define and describe it. Uh, so thank you very much, Ruth Millington and Dina Razin for a really fantastic episode today. The wonderful book is available now, Muse in All Good Bookshops. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just thank you both very much for your time. And it's a really fascinating book. I think it's really important um, for anybody interested in art history generally and the Pre-Raphaelites as well, specifically, um, to read to kind of understand and unpack more of that relationship that so often in the past has just kind of been um, not really explored, just kind of taken for granted that it is a certain way. So thank you both so much for your time. Thanks, Hannah. Mm -hmm.